Hello, and welcome to the weekly market podcast from BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and this week I'm joined by Jikai Chen, who is the head of Asian Equities. Before we turn to Jikai and get a better understanding of what's happening in the Asian equity markets, uh, a recap or an evaluation of what's happening globally uh, in markets, and a colleague of mine referred to the last couple weeks as the reflation yo-yo. Uh, so I guess maybe for those of you who aren't familiar with the toy, uh, yo-yo goes up and down, and we've gone up expecting uh, a blue wave and reflation. Then we went down when it looked like the Democrats would not sweep. Then we went back up again as we had the announcement of promising results for a vaccine. So for those of us who boldly predicted volatility around the election uh, and through the end of the year, that certainly has been borne out. And I think we all anticipate more volatility in the months ahead. Now, in general, the markets uh, have had to move along pretty quickly from the election results, focusing now on the prospects for vaccine. Uh, That said, I think we do need to keep in mind there's still potential volatility uh, around the ultimate outcome for the U.S. presidential election. A lot can happen between now and the 20th of January when the next president is actually inaugurated. So we should keep that risk in the back of our minds. Uh, In the near term, generally, we're focusing on the prospects for a vaccine. That said, there's still the winter ahead of us, and it's clear that even with the good results from the trials for the vaccine, uh, the situation today still quite challenging in many parts of the world, uh, potential still for increased restrictions, negative impact then on growth and on markets, uh, but at the same time, we do have a brighter prospect in the medium term in the availability of a vaccine. The other thing that's going to be driving the markets then is going to be the prospect actually for U.S. stimulus, uh, depending then, of course, on how not only the presidential election ultimately turns out, but critically, the two runoff elections that will take place in January for two senators in Georgia, because that election will determine probably how big the stimulus or really if any stimulus comes out of the U.S., Uh, Right now, we probably have three scenarios. If the Democrats are able to win the two runoff elections in January, that would give them a majority in the Senate, and that would renew prospects for really large stimulus, like we thought before around the blue wave, upwards perhaps even more than $2 trillion. Alternatively, if the Republicans retain control of the Senate, uh, perhaps we'd anticipate a stimulus of around $500 billion. Now, of course, $500 billion seems small relative to $2 trillion, but that's still quite a lot of money uh, and certainly would be a boost to the U.S. economy. Uh, at the same time, we need to imagine that we could get no stimulus at all. Uh, this is politics, after all. If the U.S. economy does better than expected, maybe the argument will be made that no stimulus is needed. We've already spent well over $2 trillion in the spring. So a lot of variables there. They're going to have a significant impact on the market, and particularly when we look at the relationship between value and growth. Value has certainly done better recently, but whether or not that's going to be sustained will depend on inflation expectations, which will depend on the stimulus. Well, that's our recap. Of course, when we think about the elections, one of the big consequences 
uh, is the relationship between the U.S. and China. Of course, we have the pandemic uh, still going on, and I think the the view that China, by and large, has done a, a quite good job of managing it. Asia, in general, uh, has done a good job. It is not struggling to the degree that the U.S. and Europe are. So, Shikai, my first question for you, how are Asian equities responding to the current health, debt crises that we're seeing? What will be the future of Asia? Uh, big question, future of Asia amid continued tensions between China and the U.S. We think of supply chain restructuring, of course, geopolitical relations and the rest. So what can you tell us, Shikai? Thank you, Daniel, for um, giving me this opportunity. I think uh, we have seen fairly good Asian equities performance so far this year. In fact, uh, Asia X Japan has outperformed both uh, MSCI World and MSCI USA. And well, this has been helped by very robust performance from China. Large regional economies like Taiwan and Korea did very well so far this year as well. So there's clearly a North Asian tilt performance this year with uh, Southeast Asian uh, economies as well as India still in the red in terms of markets year to date. I think this can be largely explained by the fact that North Asia, generally speaking, had controlled the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic better. Mortality experience has been good uh, to Mao, with most Asian countries' health system able to cope up with the spiked up in patients. And certainly, the other thing that has really helped uh, for the Asian markets has been the exceptional fiscal and monetary stimulus that has been used to combat the economic downturn. Um, the economic downturn is obviously caused by both the pandemic spread as well as the social distancing measures that has been implemented. So as a result, you've seen government debt levels increase very substantially with the usual fiscal norms pushed aside across Asia. Um, Singapore, for example, is uh, probably approaching teens level of GDP stimulus so far this year. So that has really helped in terms of offsetting some of the economic downdraft that we saw. The other part that has been very helpful has been the massive monetary easing led by uh, the US Federal Reserve. And this has helped Asian economies and allow a lot of the Asian economies to engage in some fairly extraordinary measures. Um, for example, you saw that uh, in Indonesia, the central bank is now outright buying Indonesian sovereign bonds. This typically in a more normal situation, if you will, in quotation mark, uh, tends to create a fairly significant uh, for foreign reserve ripples in the market because this is something that uh, investors typically do not like to see. So on the second part of the question, I think the outlook still remains, um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think Asia is fortunate to still be the engine of global growth. It will be the only region in the world with positive GDP growth for this year and next year. And it's also helped by the emergence of very significant intra-Asia trade that has helped to anchor and resist the downdraft that we saw in global economic activity. The last point, Daniel, that you raised, uh, I think is a fairly topical question, but I would like to uh, also reiterate that this is not something new for Asian investors in particular. This uh, uh, question about supply chain restructuring has been a hot topic for the last two and a half years uh, plus. And uh, it seems like a long time away uh, ago, but uh, the tension between the trade uh, issues between China and uh, the US basically started uh, in uh, the early part of 2018 and really didn't reach a ceasefire, if you will, to the end of 2019. So as Asian in equity investors, we've 
been quite uh, used to dealing with that for some time now. In terms of the actual restructuring plans, we've observed over the last two and a half years something that's quite interesting. If you look at the Chinese share of global trade, it is very clear that the share has actually increased. Well, there's without a doubt that the Chinese share of US trade has declined. So why is this? I think this is one of the other points that's very interesting. I think part of it and how we explain it from sitting in Asia is because of the massive infrastructure build-out that China has done over the last few decades and the massive consumption, the domestic market and the export share that China has built over time. So certainly some Asian economies will see this uh, restructuring of the supply chain to basically decrease their dependency on China-based uh, manufacturing hubs. But the size of China's infrastructure support, such as hot throughput, so rapid switch in the medium term is unlikely. It's a very good point. Uh, certainly what a lot of people are wondering is, is how big of a change in, in trade policy you'll see under, if it turns out to be a Biden administration relative to the Trump one. So it's certainly going to be a crucial factor for those developments. As a portfolio manager, you've got to take a lot of things into account as you look for opportunities in the market. How in particular has COVID-19 change the risk and return expectations and what are the asset allocation implications for you? Certainly, I think this year has been a humbling and a learning year for a lot of our portfolio managers across the globe, not just us in Asia. I think COVID-19 pandemic has significantly impacted the way we work, play and even live. I think the pandemic and the social distancing measures has, has inflicted truly historic economic contraction globally and this has clearly favoured companies that had the foresight to develop online strategy, as well as refocus the spotlight on logistics and unglamorous but critical variable for online strategies to work, um, not just in Asia, but globally as well. The other impact has been that long held expectations that has anchored company earnings and valuation has truly been shattered. Things that we didn't think would be possible, like for example, um, office occupancy below 50% in central hubs in Singapore, in Bangkok, in Hong Kong, Beijing, Shanghai. These things were not in anyone's projection. So this has real implication for the real estate REITs as well as hospitality companies going forward. I think this is where fundamental research by the portfolio managers and uh, researchers really serve to differentiate the companies that will not just survive but thrive in the new environment. What is also interesting as well is not only on the macro part of it. With the massive monetary stimulus we've seen across the globe, what, you also, what is also apparent that we are rapidly going back towards a zero or negative yielding world. This is less of a situation in Asia, but the impact directly to investors as an allocation is the reality that foreign investment use has been compressed to historical low. So as a result of that, uh, investors in their search for returns, particularly as allocators and insurers, have no choice, in my opinion, to basically seek more risky assets like equities, in my view. So we just talked about asset allocation. I'd like to ask the question from a slightly different perspective. What about asset allocation from a global investor's point of view? Uh, should investors be diversifying their exposure to include Asian equities? Well, Daniel, uh, I think here, um, you have to forgive my bias here. I'm clearly talking my own book here. But I think there's a few points that's worth mentioning. 
uh, as I mentioned earlier, Asia is the world growth engine. It is also the only region in the world where its share of global market capitalization has increased dramatically over the past decade and continuing to increase. But when I look at uh, investors' allocation on a global basis, I think global investors are probably being still underexposed to Asia, particularly if they're using things like broad ETFs um, that try to mimic MSCI world, for example. So case in point, Asia is approximately about 20% of global market capitalization. But within the MSCI World Index itself, Asian uh, equities just represent about 4% of that. So if a allocator that's uh, on a global basis trying to get uh, more investment into uh, Asia using a MSCI ETF is probably significantly underweighting and underinvesting in Asia, in my view. Lastly, with growing economies in Asia, rising household wealth, Asia is also home to fairly exciting next generation of companies that are innovating to meet the changing Asian needs, which can potentially be very rewarding for investors, adding to their currently underweight position in, say, Asian equities. So if I understood you correctly, uh, it seems that globally investors are actually underexposed uh, to Asia, which I think, as you point out, may not necessarily be the allocation you want to have, given that a bulk of the growth, a uh, bulk of the innovation will likely be coming from Asia. And if anything, you would imagine uh, you'd want to be overexposed to that as opposed to underexposed. So I think we both agree, certainly opportunity for investors to diversify their exposure uh, and including Asian equities might be a good idea. Well, that's all the time we have today. If I could recap quickly the insights Jikai shared with us, pointed out that North Asia has done relatively well through the crisis, um, down to uh, better initial management, certainly. uh, And the region, generally speaking, will again be one of the sole motors of economic growth next year. Uh, Also, the region's been helped by significant fiscal and monetary stimulus, the way we've seen in Europe and the U.S., Uh, The Fed's moves have helped, uh, but one of the new innovations has been we've seen uh, quantitative easing now coming out of some emerging market central banks, which before the pandemic uh, would have been almost impossible to achieve. In that then, if we think about the consequences of the pandemic, the companies that have benefited uh, have been those that already had online strategies and good logistics, so they've been able to take advantage of the disruptions that we've seen. And from a portfolio manager point of view, uh, given the big disruptions across industries, it really does come down to fundamental research to understand uh, how well-placed a company is to succeed in what we all appreciate is a quite different environment. Well, that's all for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks again to Shikai for sharing his insights. I hope you will join us next week when I will be speaking with Jean-Charles Sambour, who is head of emerging market debt. So we'll get a picture uh, on the emerging market side again, but from a debt angle. With that, again, thank you for participating. Goodbye and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date. 